The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. My goodness, we had a busy morning in the NBA, didn't we? Sheesh. I came onto this show ready to talk about some of our poll results. We've got some playoff stuff to recap, but damn, the NBA didn't let us rest for a moment. This morning, we have already found out that Joel Embiid has been diagnosed with a barely torn meniscus, which I didn't know that there were this many grades to it. That sounds like their way of smoothing something over that's going to allow him to play through an injury, but whatever they want to call it, Joel Embiid is considered day-to-day. Chris Paul apparently is okay. Not that, I don't think anybody thought otherwise. He just, there was a weird box out in the game last night, and it kind of re-aggravated the shoulder thing, but it didn't look that bad. That's the thing with these stingers, though. Like, it Even the first one, when his arm just sort of casually grazed off his teammate, and that's what started it, you just sort of never know. Anthony Davis, questionable for the Lakers' next ballgame. Danny Ainge is out as the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics, and Brad Stevens is taking his place. What the hell's going on this morning? Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski apparently is retiring at the end of this coming season. I did not know that Wednesday, June 2nd, was going to be big NBA news morning, but here we are. What these mean for the greater outlook on things, certainly the uh, Embiid stuff and the Anthony Davis stuff have a direct and immediate impact on the upcoming playoff games uh, for those two teams. The Boston shakeup, what does that mean? Are they going to go make a splash finally after being sort of the butt of a, oh, the Celtics were also interested but didn't pull the trigger jokes for the basically everything Danny Ainge has done since the uh, Brooklyn trade, whatever that was, a dozen years ago now. More? Uh, who knows? I've lost track of time. But in any event, we'll talk about all that stuff and more here upcoming on Fantasy NBA Today. This is a hoop ball presentation. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good Wednesday to you all. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Follow HoopBall, the website, hoop-ball.com, at HoopBallFantasy, or really in the offseason, follow at HoopBallTweets. That's the umbrella Twitter handle that sort of corrals all the stuff that we do at HoopBall. So that'll post the different things from the various team coverage wings of the website, uh, HoopBall Gaming. That has our sports betting stuff. That's under that header as well. Although I think Hoopball Fantasy now has almost passed Hoopball tweets for total total followers, whatever that means. And we got good stuff kicking around so far this morning as well. Uh, our buddy Ethan Noroff has a Lakers pot out this morning. The uh, the good folks over at Hoopball Grizz, who are in arena for those games in Memphis, they're, although they're that series is headed back to Utah now. They've been absolutely crushing it lately. I. This is a very weird time of year to try to pick up followers on Twitter, but the Grizzlies guys are doing it. Clippers guys are doing it too. Brandon doing a great job. Love the work that our uh, our various team coverage guys are doing right now, and everybody will get a shout-out at some point on this thing. Um, we've got like 14 or 15 of them at this point, if you didn't know. Because if you don't know, now you know. 
Let's start by talking about the playoff games from last night. We'll segue into some of our poll results as we talk a bit more about the top two seeds in head-to-head playoffs. That's what we got kicking around right now. I am anxious to get to our season in review on Yahoo, uh, but I want to make sure that I have the time to actually do the analysis on that before it takes over our show for a week or two. So again, I'm thinking either tomorrow or Friday we'll get started on that. And uh, we still have lessons to, to go over from this season gone by. But today, the uh, Brooklyn Nets polished off the Boston Celtics last night, hence the shakeup for Boston. These were things that were sort of quietly in the works while Boston knew they were going to get obliterated. Brooklyn somehow covered in this ballgame, and uh, it the, the number was almost right on the total. They went under by about a bucket, although, again, depending on where you got it, you might have even caught an over, like, by a hook. Either way, it was quite close. Um I had ever so slightly lean to the over in this ballgame, but the question mark was always, what would the free throw thing do? Because remember, the teams shot 72 free throws in that last ballgame. They only shot 48 in this one. Brooklyn still did their part with a buck 23. Boston just could never really get the offense going. It was kind of Jason Tatum against the world throughout this series. Kemba Walker sat it out, and he probably won't ever be fully healthy again. Uh, and for Boston, I don't. I really don't know what they're going to do. You, you could argue that having Robin Williams, Jalen Brown back would have been helpful. Would it have been enough to get over the hump? I doubt it. They were a team that kind of overachieved in the bubble last year. Teams that went deep in the bubble tended to have rough seasons, so you could also chalk some of it up to just being wiped. They also had the worst COVID season of any team in the NBA. They missed the most games due to protocols of all 30 teams in the in the NBA this year. So, you know, by all accounts, it was just a, a massive disappointment of a season for whatever reasons you want to stick on it. So Boston has some discussions to have internally now, especially as they're moving the front office around. What do they do? Do they try to put some guys together? Do they put Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart in a deal and go try to get somebody better? They may have to treat their team like a fantasy team and take two really good players and try to turn them into one better one and take a swing. Take a swing on someone who might be headed into free agency. We shall see. That's what the offseason is for. For Brooklyn, they are on to the next round. James Harden leading the charge here in the playoffs for the Nets. He has been, apologies to Kevin Durant backers, James has been their best player in these playoffs so far. And there's going to be a lot of talking head discussion about what he did or didn't need in Houston to be more successful in the postseason. Um, I mean, let's, let's wait on the verdict here. Obviously, Brooklyn has three of the best offensive players in the NBA. Uh, on the same team, but this was not a challenge for them. Boston wasn't good this year. Whatever they were last season, it didn't really translate. So before we anoint the Nets and Harden as kings of the playoffs, and admittedly, they're all looking pretty damn good right now. They shot 51% for the ballgame. All three superstars were 50% or better for Brooklyn again in this one, Kyrie had 25 on 14 shots, KD 24 on 16 shots, Harden 34 on 17 shots. I mean, some of these guys are doubling up. They're at, like, Harden was at two points per field goal attempt, and free throws go a long way in that one. And those guys combined to go 16 for 17 at the foul line. Nope, excuse me. Kicked that one right to the side of the wall. I think it was 19 for 23 at the foul line. But whatever it was, uh, or uh, 18 for 21, Come on, Dan. Come on. Get it together. 18 for 21. That part doesn't really matter all that much. What matters is that they're along. They're along to the next one, and they await 
most... Or, sorry, we actually have that matchup already. Those are two series that are done. How about that? That's convenient for us. So, uh, Nets and Bucks. That's what's coming up in the next one. And when it begins, I have to look at a schedule to find out. Saturday. That game's in Brooklyn on Saturday at 4.30 Pacific time. I will be doing another weekend preview on Friday. We'll get into some of the playoff prices, but I actually like the Bucks. I think they are uh, gener- a bit underrated going into this playoffs. It's why I didn't take the bait on that Miami plus 200 and whatever that everybody was trying to tell me I needed to get in on. Told you guys on this podcast I I didn't believe in that one. I thought the Bucks were going to be better out of the bubble, and they have been so far. Now, this is going to be a much bigger test for both of these teams. When these clubs played in the regular season, it were, they were extraordinarily high-scoring games. But again... We'll get into that as we get closer to it, uh, because we don't need to do that right now. Portland and Denver, this was one of the games of the millennium. Uh, Damian Lillard had 55 in a double overtime loss. Oh, that one stung, man. He really needed some help. Dame shot 71% for the ballgame. 55 points on 24 shots, and the rest of his team put up 85 points on basically 80 shots. That's just not going to get it done. Rob Covington was good, but McCollum was bad. Nurk was bad. Norman Powell was bad. Mello was bad. Ennis Cantor was a sieve defensively. And the Nuggets were, well, they got a lot from Monty Morris and Austin Rivers. They just find a way, man. Those Nuggets, they get their shots offensively because no one can do anything with Nikola Jokic. So obviously this one went over because, you know, double overtime. Denver win, cover. This one's headed back to Portland with the Nuggets up three games to two. And uh, we will cover that one on tomorrow's show because that's when they're playing. Portland, by the way, five-point favorite total, 227.5. We might actually finally have a little bit of wiggle room on uh, on the under. I just I don't know how these teams can put up that kind of offense again. Who the hell knows? And then the Suns clubbed the Lakers, 115-85. Lakers are actually two-point favorite in that game on Thursday. Total of 207.5. I got half the handicap right on yesterday's game. I told you without Anthony Davis, the Suns were going to easily score over 100 points, and they put up a buck 15. And so that part of the handicap was spot on. I said, look, I got a slight lean to the over here. I don't, And I think on the side, I said, I don't really think the Lakers stay within five points, but I wasn't confident enough to do anything with it, and Lord knows they didn't. But I figured if the Suns put up a buck 15, the Lakers would be, oh, I don't know, at least at 95, which would have gotten it to the over. So that's why I liked the over on that one, and, and that's why it missed, because the Lakers shot 35%. LeBron was literally the only Laker doing anything out there. The rest of the team was a, a complete and total disaster. And even Braun wasn't all that good. No steals, no blocks. Percentages were fine. He had six threes, continues to not want to go to the rack. Zero free throws for LeBron again. Lakers shot 21 free throws. None taken by LeBron James. You can say what you want about him and how healthy he is. He's not 100%. And plus, once this game was getting out of hand, he wasn't about to take it to the rack every time anyway. We mentioned Chris Paul in our opener that he re-aggravated the shoulder thing. I'm sure he'll be fine, or he'll play through it at the very least. I don't think this game was representative of what the next one's going to look like, but a lot of it's going to come down to Anthony Davis. KCP also re-injured his knee. I'm sure he'll try to give it a go in their next ball game, but uh, Lakers are hanging in the balance right now. And a lot of teams, man, give a lot of credit to the Denver Nuggets. They're the only team, and they lost Jamal Murray and Will Barton. 
And Monty Morris for a long stretch, although he's back and playing now. But they made that trade for Aaron Gordon, and that was helpful. And then Jokic is just this indestructible monster. And Michael Porter Jr. is at full tilt after being sort of COVID and then semi-COVID for like six weeks earlier in the season. Give the Nuggets a ton of credit. Because they're the one deep bubble run team that is still somehow muscling through. Lakers are sort of muscling through, but then losing Anthony Davis kind of knocked that one off. But the Heat, nope. The Celtics, nope. The Raptors, nope. The Nuggets, they persevere. And for Portland, at some point, they're going to have to defend somebody. This is really why I wasn't afraid of the Blazers in the bubble last year. Everybody, I think I did an appearance with my buddy Gil on VEASAN in the playoffs last season. And I, and I think, I might be getting some of this wrong, and Gil would probably correct me because I think his memory is probably better than mine. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he asked me, hey, is this Blazers team, like, would you throw money on the eight-seed Blazers against the Lakers? And I said, no. And everybody thought I was nuts. I said, nope, not going to do it. What you're seeing is a bit of a mirage. Lakers were kind of getting tuned up for the bubble. The Blazers were playing over their heads. They were outscoring teams that were a little bit less focused. They beat a Memphis Grizzlies team that was terrible in the bubble last year. There was a bit of a mirage happening. And then sure enough, Lakers came out. They were flat in game one and then just steamrolled them because Portland couldn't guard L.A. at all. And the Lakers did. They basically said, look, Dame, we know you can shoot from 40 feet, but you're going to have to take every shot from out there if you're going to beat us. Or you're going to have to give it up, and we feel pretty confident we can guard the rest of these guys. And teams can do that, and Portland's still going to put up some points because Dame is unreal. But they still can't guard anybody. They got Rob Covington for some slightly better defense, and he's been good on that side. He's been one of the better players in the NBA for Portland to pick up. But they just have... And I get it. The Nuggets are a hard team to defend. But they didn't defend in the regular season anyway, so whatever. Say what you will on all that stuff. Uh, anywho, what's going on tonight in the NBA is where we should be focusing our attention. And it is a four-game Wednesday. So let's try to rip through this relatively fast and get back to our poll results. Washington-Philly. Joel Embiid is uh, doubtful for this ball game, so the Sixers are only a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I think that Philly is going to see this as an opportunity to try to close it out and get their big man some rest. I don't think they're as afraid as maybe the the narrative would have you believe. Philly played plenty of games, 17, as we screwed up our math on yesterday's show. 17, actually, this season without Joel Embiid. And they were still pretty damn good. You know, Washington wasn't very good in that last ball game. It was just that the Sixers were terrible. So I do think this game moves fast. I like the over. I think the Sixers are going to be pretty focused I'm a little worried about the over because I, I think the Sixers might be really focused on the defensive end, trying to slow down the whiz. But Washington's going to try to speed this thing up, and Philly's going to try to get some stuff in transition, and their half-court stuff is going to be not as effective but far less frequent. So I would lean to the over. I like the Sixers, actually. I think they win this game by a pretty good margin. I think they win it like 125 to 120. 11 or something like that. And then here's the thing. If Washington's down at the end of the ball game, they'll start fouling early because the series will be over and the season will be over and teams will do a little more desperation stuff. They're not going to wait 
you know, oh, you know, we're down seven with 45 seconds to go. Yeah, sure, I guess we could let 24 seconds run off the clock. We're pretty much dead in the water at that point. Or we start fouling because this team isn't all that great at shooting free throws. And then we start chucking at the other end. So I think you might see some end-of-game run-up if Philly is winning. And if I handicap them ahead, which I do, uh, it, as long as it's not like a two-point game, then you're going to see some fouling. So I like the over in this one, and I think Philly probably covers as well. Uh, but again, you never know what's going to happen in those last uh, 40 to 60 seconds or so. Knicks, one and a half point favorite at home, total of 208. Hawks have been great in their two home games. Uh, I think the Knicks get one back. You guys know I'm a, I'm a pretty big Hawks proponent on this podcast. I've been a little bit on my own, actually, in the, the uh, journalist or whatever world, media world, everybody else I knew was on the Knicks in this, and I was on my own, and so far I've looked smarter, but the series is not over yet. Uh, anything can happen, an injury, a um, hot streak, Julius Randle waking up would actually be a pretty big deal. Hawks put up a buck 13 in that last ball game. The pace really did pick up for the first time in the series. I'm not, I mean, I don't think New York wants that. So I would be inclined to say that this one probably stays pretty close to that total of 208. I do think the Knicks win this ball game. I don't think they go out like this. I think the Hawks probably win it back at home. And then Memphis and Utah, Jazz favored by 9.5. I think Memphis might be a little shell-shocked after losing both of their home games. Jazz have kind of figured things out. Grizzlies are playing very fast but haven't really figured out how to slow down the Jazz. And so it just comes down to whether or not Utah makes their threes. If you think they make them again, they probably cover and it probably goes over as well. And then Dallas and L.A., this one to me is almost impossible to bet unless we really truly know how Luka Doncic is feeling. I'm inclined to believe he's probably not 100%, so I would look at the under, but he comes roaring out of the gates looking fine. It, it, that'll just detonate your under in five seconds because the Clippers couldn't guard Luka when he was healthy, and Dallas can't guard the Clippers really at all. But the difference for the first two games is that Dallas was making a ton of threes, and then the third game they didn't, and then the fourth game Luka was hurt. So I don't want anything to do with this last ball game. I really don't know the status of arguably the most important player in the series on any side. Not that he's better than Kawhi or Paul. Well, he's better than Paul George, I would say. I don't think he's better than Kawhi. Uh, but he is more important to his team. Without Luka, Dallas has nothing. Without Kawhi, who again is the better player, the Clippers at least still have a star on the floor. Even if you don't like him much, which I'm not a big Paul George fan. He's still quite good at basketball. That you got going on tonight in the NBA. Let's talk a little bit about those poll results yesterday because they did surprise me in not an overwhelming sense. Apologies, took a sip of my squirt. Wish I could get sponsored by whoever makes squirt. Man, I love that soda. Caffeine-free because caffeine messes me up a little bit. Anybody else have the like a sensitivity to the touch when they drink caffeine? It's weird, man among other things. So uh, the polls we ran yesterday didn't get as many votes as I wanted, and I would blame a lot of that on the offseason. Uh, but one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is that I figured that in competitive head-to-head -head leagues, you'd see a more even distribution. Maybe not all the way through the top six teams getting into the playoffs, but at least through like the first three or four. And it very much was not the case. But, you know, there was... 
people did have to sort of self-diagnose a little bit in that anybody, I, I said, hey, if you're in a competitive head-to-head league, here's your poll. And so people that aren't actually in a head-to-head competitive one might think they are, or the opposite, you might not realize you're in a competitive head-to-head league. So it, maybe that messes up the data a little bit. And it, it almost definitely does because there were only like 200 votes on this thing and I probably should have let it go for more than 24 hours, or maybe I should have promoted it a bit more throughout the day. But regardless, we got about 200 votes, and that's what we'll go with. And in the competitive head-to-head league, by the way, we still got the results we wanted. They weren't just they they were just skewed a tiny bit. And I bet you if I run this same poll again during like the week before the season starts in October, we'll probably get about four times as many votes, and then we'll have some real hard data to work with. But in any event, in a competitive head-to-head league. First seed won the playoffs 38% of the time. Second seed, oddly enough, only 17% of the time. I combined third and fourth, which, you know, whatever. That's just the way I had to run it because Twitter only gives you four options in a poll. Third and fourth combined to win it 24% of the time, which is almost exactly the 25% that a a coin flip would have put it on. And then fifth and sixth place was about 21%. So a little bit sub coin flip as you get towards the edges of the playoffs. The one that was super surprising is second place. Cause that should have been around 25% on its own. But apparently a lot of these second place potential winners uh, ended up dropping in the first place bucket. What this tells us, and, and we can't split it right down the middle. If we said third place and fourth place were about 12% apiece, I think you probably have to create uh, a little bit of a trend line where first place was at 38%, second place was 17.5%, third was probably like 14 or 15 and fourth was probably like 9 or 10 mm, Maybe it was like 38, 17 and a half, uh, 13 or, well, I don't know, because 5th and 6th were a little higher than expected there, too. 4th and 5th, maybe both around 11, and then 6th, like, 8, something in that neck of the woods. That's pretty close. Again, only only 195 votes, so there is a, a margin of error here on the actual way these things shake out. What we can learn from this, first of all, is that 38 and 17.5% actually does come out to more than 50% for the top two seats, so it is a better-than-coin-flip probability for whatever reasons you might decide that the first and second place teams were actually just better you could just say hey it's a coin flip but let's adjust the odds so that heads comes up like 54 percent of the time and that's how you basically get to where we are in this one um or we could say maybe the teams are all very even in a competitive head-to-head league and those first and second place teams won 55 and a half percent of the time instead of 50 because they were able to better prepare for the second round of the playoffs. And so that gave them a higher probability of getting to the finals. And then once you're in the finals, screw it, call it a coin flip again. But first place, likely playing uh, fourth place because fourth and fifth play in the first round and third place sixth. First playing fourth place, these able to prepare very well it's not a 50-50 thing. Maybe you say it's like a 75-25 that that first place team makes it to the finals and then it's a coin flip. So it's 75 and then times a half, which is 37 and a half. So that basically gets us right to it. 
You say that whatever other team got there. Now, second place, this one's where things get a little bit murky because I would have thought, you know, second place would have had a better than 50% chance to beat third place to get into the playoffs, but this particular result would skew the other direction based on the math we were just doing. So this would be more like, if we said the finals was really a coin flip between first and second place, that means that second place only had about a 35% chance to beat third place. That makes no sense. Can't say third place is going to have a 65% chance of making the playoffs, That's or making the finals. That doesn't make any sense. So, again, limited sample size here is is messing up our results. The best way to look at this, I think... It's not so much to separate first and second, and in fact, in a future poll, it might be wise for me to just say to combine first and second place as the teams that got a buy. I probably also need to mention that people responded to this who had more than six teams making the playoffs, or even fewer than six teams, where first and second place didn't get a bye week. So by the way, pretty much any other way that you set up your head-to-head league if first and second place don't get a bye in round one, it's going to drive the percentage of them winning down. So I would say that you take this 35.5%, and in a 6 out of 12 teams makes the playoff scenario, it's higher. It's higher than 55.5. And we may need to run more polls on that. I might need to get a bit more specific with what I'm expecting people to, to vote on. If you're in a 10-team league where four teams make the playoffs, don't vote. If you're in a 16-team a, a league where eight teams make the playoffs, don't vote. I needed this to be, and that's my fault, I needed this to be 12 teams, or hell, I actually don't care how many teams are in the league. I just needed it to be top six make the playoffs and first and second place get a bye. That's what we need data on. And there's a little bit of an echo chamber thing happening here because I'm, I'm a bad pollster. I'm looking for a result. I want the result to be a certain way to back up what we pretty much know. And the fact that this wasn't higher than 55.5% actually kind of surprised me a little bit. And then you look over at the non-competitive head-to-head leagues or what I referred to as casual head-to-head league players and first and second place, this was actually really damn close to a coin flip. Really close. I also, by the way, before I even get into the casual head-to-head one, I would also say that this season in particular probably skewed... Now, it could end up being a little bit of a wash, uh, but because of the number of injuries, there's just a slightly higher chance that a first or second place team might stumble into that semifinal round. If there are fewer injuries across the board, you eliminate luck and the better teams or the teams that are better prepared are going to have a slightly higher chance. So I think everything that we're pulling from the data today is actually the low end of what you can expect from this argument or corollary or theory or whatever you want to call it going forward. For casual head-to-head league players, first place won at 28% of the time. Great. I don't know why I clapped. Force a habit. Great. So that suggests that first place had a slightly better than 50-50 shot in each of the first two rounds. 
you could say that first place had a 56% chance to beat fourth place and then a 50-50 shot to win the finals. That's the easiest math to get there. Uh, or you do like a, a square root type of thing of 0.28 and work your way backwards from that. <laughs> uh, which I guess would put you where? 53%? Yeah, about 53% in each of the two rounds. But that doesn't get us to where we get with the other one. Second place had about a 23 and a half. It was 23.3 at the time of recording this podcast. It could still move a tiny bit. There's about an hour left on the poll as we're recording this thing. Second place had a 23.3% chance to win it, which if you take the square root of that, it's 48% for each of the first two rounds. But I don't think it works that way. I think what you're probably looking at is that first place has a slightly higher than 50% chance to win each of their two rounds, and second place has probably ever so slightly higher than 50% to win their semifinal, and then less than 50% to win the finals. So maybe, like, what would second place be? Uh, We want to do 51.51 times X equals 0.23. I think you do 0.51 divided by 0.23? No, that's not right. (laughs) Uh, oh yeah we shouldn't try to do algebra on air that apparently was the cutoff for me guys i can do pretty simple math on a podcast live because i like to do these shows and i like to work through the numbers live with you guys um but that's straight up finding x i don't know that you guys really want to see me work my way through that one i guess you can what what did we just decide it was let's say it was a 0.51 in the first round uh, times x equals 0.233. So you divide, hmm, divide the, both sides by 0.51. Yep, that's where I went wrong. I needed to go the other way. See, I could have figured this out. You just give me a second here. 0.233 divided by 0.51. And there you go, Forty about 46%. 45.6, is the uh, chances to win the finals. So that actually isn't all that far off from what we were talking about. First place has about 53%. Uh, second place, about 47, 6, something like that. So that actually makes a lot of sense. And this is kind of what you'd expect to see where first and second place are ever so slightly better or just more prepared than the teams they meet in the semifinal round. Uh, and then first place is ever so slightly better, probably not more prepared, but better than the second place team that they end up seeing in the finals. That's if. You know, the law of averages works itself out over tens of thousands of times these things occurring. Now, each individual playoff battle, which you might have or I might have, doesn't work out that way. Saying first place has a 53% chance of winning the semifinal matchup, that's a lot of ways to lose 47 out of 100 times. That's not a good rate at all. We need to get those numbers higher, like we saw on the competitive side, where first place was up in the mid to high 30s. This really surprised the hell out of me. I thought that casual head-to-head leagues, you'd see those top couple of teams just sort of pulling away from the crowd. So this is actually where I found data that surprised me. What I think, one of the conclusions at least that I think we can draw on this, is that in a casual head-to-head league, the teams in the playoffs probably aren't doing all the things they need to win those playoff matchups. Maybe it's a free league. Maybe it's for like five bucks. And so the first place team goes into the semifinal round like, meh, I was pretty good in the regular season. 
Whereas in a competitive league, perhaps the first place team realizes, hey, I don't know what what you amount of money you guys would consider competitive, but let's take like a $100 buy-in league. I think we can all agree that that's enough to at least pay attention to. Even the big money folks are, are going to pay some attention to a $100 league, and the rest of us are like, yeah, that's a pretty good amount of money. Uh, you're getting into the semifinal round. You're like, look, all I got to do is win this round, and I'm going to get you know, 800 bucks or 400 bucks or something just for making it to the finals because first and second place take cash. So those teams, the first place team, the second place team, whatever, in a competitive league are probably more focused on the semifinal round, and then they get to the finals, and the first place team is just better. And that's probably why that percentage gets driven so high. I may need some polls on how often each seed just makes the finals as opposed to actually winning it. So we need more polls. I didn't do a, a good enough job here. Uh, I'm going to add some more data to our bucket. It's going to be poll day on Twitter. And then we're really going to know, how far does each seed go? And I need it to be a damn 12... Uh, no, it doesn't need to be a 12. I need it to be a damn six make the playoffs first and second round by polls. These are really important. Because that's what most of the head-to-head leagues are, out there are. But... And if this thing got three or 4,000 votes on it, I'd say, eh, you know, one or two here and there, it's not going to skew the results. But with 200 votes, if there are like 10 people voting in this that are not in a in a one through six playoff format, that could really mess up the results. Shout out to the folks that actually replied to me to say, hey, I was the eighth place team and I won. Well, please don't vote. <laughs> I like all of you guys. You guys are great. But that actually does mess up the data. I don't want I don't want it, uh, a league voting on this where the first place team doesn't get a buy because that drives down the percentage. And I'm trying to tell you guys why getting a first round buy is important. So having data from a non-buy league is actually not only not helpful for us, but it actually messes up our data. So we're going to do a, bo- a bunch more polls on this one. Quickly here on the casual leagues, I didn't give you the third, fourth, and fifth, sixth place numbers uh, third and fourth won the league a combined 27.3% of the time. Fifth and sixth won it a combined 21.3% of the time. This was on about 150 votes, which again, this was not that far off from what I expected. Third and fourth should have combined for about 25. Fifth and sixth should have combined for about 25. But guess what? Uh, third and fourth took about 2.3% away from the fifth and sixth place bucket. And first place took the rest in addition to some from the second-place team, apparently. If this all was a coin flip, first and second would have each... every Actually, all four results would have been 25. And what we're finding is that first place is a little better. And second place is a little worse than first place, but still pretty damn close to 25%. And then third, fourth, fifth, and sixth are all under the 25% threshold by quite a bit. It's highly likely... That the way this would have broken out, if I actually were, if Twitter gave me six options, is that third would have been about 15 or 16. Fourth would have been like 11 or 12. Call it 12. 15 and 12. Fifth would have been like 11. And sixth would have been 10 or something like that. It probably st- like it probably drops off pretty fast and then flattens a bit because fourth, fifth, and sixth those teams are usually not like fifth and sixth at least usually are not that great. 
You never know. They could be okay. So the data from the casual one actually makes a whole lot of sense. The data from the competitive one, second place feels like a goofball outlier, but, you know, who the hell knows? I think that what we need to look at here and actually accept this as somewhat instructive is that the first place team in a competitive head-to-head league played a good season, had a good draft, and then was super focused on the playoffs, had that first round bye, beat that loser fourth place team, and then had a really good shot to win the finals because they were just better while the second and third place teams were were clubbing the snot out of each other in the semifinal round and had to drop all their good players who were mildly injured. First place maybe didn't need to do that. So it's actually the competitive side where first place ends up with a jumbo-sized advantage, and the casual side is more like a coin flip. That was interesting. I thought that was really cool. So we're going to throw a bunch more polls out there today. Please take a moment to vote in them if you can. That's at Dan Bespris on Twitter. That'll be likely the analysis we provide on tomorrow's show. And then on Friday, again, I'm hoping that time will allow us to start digging into the Yahoo results. If not, we'll do that first thing next week. I have other lessons learned from this season gone by, so maybe we just do that on Friday. And we may have some other series wrapped up so we can do a little bit of a playoff look-ahead on Friday since a few of those uh, second-round matchups are are getting started by uh, late over the weekend. And that'll do it. Uh, Thank you, as always, to Manscaped.com and MyBookie.ag. Please, uh, if you're going to get something at Manscaped.com, go ahead and just do it. Coupon coupon code there is HoopBall20, 20% off and free shipping. If you're going to do anything at MyBookie.ag with our buddies over at HoopBallGaming, please follow them at HoopBallGaming. Uh, If you're going to do anything at mybookie.ag, please let me know first so I can get you a prize. Don't do it without talking to me. At Dan Vespers on Twitter. Enjoy your day. Back at you tomorrow. More thoughts, more lessons, more meandering prose with your buddy Dan Vespers. So long, everybody. This has been a hoop ball presentation.